In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Mythian Grizzlies podcast, where I'm back from spring break and I'm working on a solo flight. I'm Chris Harrington, and I'm joined this week by nobody. We're going to try something a little different this week, turning the Grizzlies mailbag column I've been doing every week or two throughout the season into a Grizzlies mailbag podcast. If you can believe it, this is not a case of necessity as the mother of invention. I've actually been thinking about trying this most of the season. Um, a good friend of mine who's probably going to be a guest on this podcast in the next couple of weeks is fond of saying that the NBA regular season is a laboratory, and so this will be an experiment. If we can get it to cruising altitude, we may do it again occasionally. If it crash lands, this maiden voyage will probably be a final one. But we have questions, and we're going to take them. I'm going to um, pontificate verbally through these questions for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, before we get to the questions, a little bit of setup um, since last we spoke. The Grizzlies, since beating the Lakers a couple of weeks ago, have now gone 5-3 and three over their past eight games. They're playing pretty good basketball. Playing particularly good basketball is Mike Conley, who uh, re- last week was the Western Conference Player of the Week. The first time in his career he has won that award. It, it took him till year 12 to win that. He's averaged 29 points and 8 assists over his past five games. Um, he is now 93 points away from passing Marcus All and becoming the Grizzlies franchise leader in points scored. By my um, calculation, I think that's probably going to happen next Saturday at FedEx Forum against the Minnesota Timberwolves, so that might be a reason to head down there. Um, In terms of the standings, the Grizzlies have been stuck in sixth place for the last several weeks relative to the NBA lottery odds. Um, That's become a little more fluid over the past week. They're now in seventh. They're only one and a half games out of the eighth and ninth spots, and as regular listeners or readers at this point well know, um, that matters because the Grizzlies owe a first-round draft pick to the Boston Celtics, that will, here comes the magic word, convey sometime in the next three years. Um, That pick is protected one through eight um, this summer because it's a lottery. Um, Where you are when when the lottery begins is not necessarily where your pick ends up. There's room for movement up and down. And so the, the lower the Grizzlies get, the more likely they are to send their pick this summer, which they, and I think most fans now, believe is the right thing to do or the right um, outcome to hope for, although I don't think that is, I think there's plenty of room for disagreement on that. So that's the setup, and now we're going to work through some of these questions. Um, our first question is from Matthew. Um, these are real questions from real readers, and we hope listeners in this case. Uh, Matthew asks, who on the current Grizzlies roster do you believe will be on this roster one year from now? That's sort of a trick because one year from now is not the start of next season. He's sort of pushing it back past next year's trade deadline where I think you'll see some roster change this summer and you'll see more change um, at the deadline next February. Um, the way I would look at that is I, I think, you know, if you look at the 15-man roster the Grizzlies have right now, and you think about a year from today, I think there could be as many as 10 players still here, but there could be as few as one. And so I think it's reasonable to expect more than half of the current Grizzlies roster to be turned over um, by next February. Um, The one in question is, I think, obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr., the Grizzlies' current rookie, who was probably on pace to be second in this year's Rookie of the Year race until a uh, thigh bruise has sidelined him for what will probably be the rest of this season. 
Um, he's no longer going to finish in the top two or three in Rookie of the Year, but he's still considered, um, probably, you know, by some measure, the second, maybe the second best, certainly third or worst, fourth best prospect coming out of this draft. Um, he's not going anywhere. Uh, the rest of the roster is going to be a little up in the air. And I think you can divide the 14 players left into three groups, basically. Um, there are six who could leave this summer via free agency. Uh, you have DeLon Wright, who can be and almost almost certainly will be a restricted free agent this summer. Um, you have Tyler Dorsey, who can be a restricted free agent, but I don't think the Grizzlies will make him one. I think they'll probably let him walk. Um, you have Jonas Valanciunas and C.J. Miles, who have player options on their contracts for next season. I think they are likely to exercise and return. And you have two players who will be just full free agents this summer, Justin Holiday and Joakim Noah. I would think both are probably doubtful to return. Um, then you have three three players who are under contract to some degree going into next season. I think the Grizzlies could basically let go in theory. You have Avery Bradley and Bruno Caboclo who have partial guarantees on their contract. And you have Chandler Parsons, of course, who is has a massive deal for next season that the Grizzlies will try to get out of at some point. Um, and then the other five left are players who are under contract and will be back unless they are traded. But any or all could be traded in theory. That includes Mike Conley, Dylan Brooks. Cal Anderson, Ivan Rabb, and Javon Carter. All right, so that's that's your landscape. I think of those 14, the two that are most likely to still be here a year from now are Dylan Brooks and Cal Anderson. And I think the ones least likely to be here a year from now are Justin Holiday, who I think will be gone this summer. Um, Tyler Dorsey, who I think will be gone this summer. Avery Bradley, I think will probably be gone this summer. We'll get to that in a minute in a different question. And then Chandler Parsons, who... Whether he's gone this summer or not, the Grizzlies are not going to carry him through the end of next season. Uh, if they get through next year's trade deadline, they haven't been able to move Chandler Parsons. They'll, I, I'm sure they'll cut him at that point. So I think there's pretty much zero chance he's still on the roster a year from now. Now, you put all that together, I think what's notable about it is the three players most likely to spill, but still be on this roster a year from now, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, are the three players not playing basketball right now. Um, and so I think you have to you know, the, the good play the Grizzlies have had over the past week or two, you have to put into a little bit of context. It has not featured the three players probably most important right now to the long-term future of the franchise. Uh, and that will impact some other stuff we're going to talk about here. All right, next question. DB, um, just DB, he insists, we'll keep it at that, um, asks, does or should the current uptick in play from the team, um, ignoring uh, last week's bad loss in Atlanta, um, do, does this uh, re good play affect the moves the team makes in the offseason, or is this just a stopgap assembled to achieve a goal to convey the pick this season only? Uh, the second part of that makes it sound like the current Grizzlies are like the Avengers or something. They've assembled them to, to for this um, you know go-for-broke mission to convey a draft pick, um, which is not exactly the case. I'm going to start with the second part of that. This is not a team that was assembled for the purpose of conveying a draft pick. Um, I think that notion probably influenced what the Grizzlies did this past summer more than it did last month at the trade deadline. I think the Grizzlies went into the season with the idea of we want to be competitive enough to convey our pick and we also want to try to transition into this rebuild and so they were operating on sort of those two tracks and so I think the whole like you know wish to convey influenced um, trading for Garrett Temple and signing Shelvin Mack and even in season trading for Justin Holiday. It influenced those decisions much more than it influenced what happened at the trade deadline. I, I think what happened at the trade deadline was not the notion of we want to maintain a competitive team in order to convey this pick. It was 
we're going to make the decisions that we feel are best to make given the the options we have before us. Um, you know, the Grizzlies didn't trade Marcus All for to Toronto for Jonas Valanciunas and Delon Wright because that would help them be good the rest of the season and convey the pick. I think they decided we're trading Marcus All and we're going to take the best offer that's on the table, whatever that offer is and whatever form it takes, and that happened to be the best offer. Um, I, you know, the, they didn't trade for Avery Bradley at the deadline because they thought, well, Avery Bradley can help us convey the pick. They made that trade strictly for financial reasons. Um, the Marcus All trade put them above the league's luxury tax line. They had to make a trade that would move them back under it. And the, the deal to the Clippers to get Avery Bradley basically saved them money. And that is why they did it. Um, and then in terms of not trading Mike Conley, it, you know, it wasn't, I, I know Chris Wallace said something to the effect of, you know, we still want to convey the pick and Conley can help us do that. They just didn't get a good enough deal. They would have been happy to trade Mike Conley, I think, if they'd gotten a good enough offer and it didn't happen. And so the, the fact that the Grizzlies have come out of the deadline with a more competitive team has been, if you want to convey, and they do, sort of a happy accident. It was not by design. They did not assemble this current team for the purpose of trying to convey a pick. They just made the moves that were available to them to make. Um, but the spirit of the question is, is um, you know, does the current performance impact the way you think about the team in, you know, in the summer, the moves they may make this summer? I think in a tangible way, yes, because, uh, you know, as we just sort of just talked about, how well the Grizzlies play right now is going to impact whether they're likely to have their draft pick, and as a result, whether they're likely to still owe a pick in the future. And I think that outcome is going to, it's going to govern a lot of what the, the Grizzlies do this summer. The spirit of the question is, seems to imply that because the Grizzlies have been good the last couple of weeks, do you convince yourself, hey, you're, we're going to be good next season and and do you certainly suddenly have an urge to sort of keep this team together? And I just don't think that's going to be the case at all. I, I think I think cooler heads will prevail um, in terms of the notion of thinking this team, this roster is currently constituted as some kind of contender in the West. It's not. It is it is unlikely to be even a playoff team um, next season. The, the same team that you're seeing on the floor over the past couple of weeks. And in terms of individual players, you think about, like, you know, does does the current play impact what may happen with them this summer? Um, you know, in terms of Mike Conley, you know, his, his great play, does that make the Grizzlies um, less likely to trade him? I, I think it in any – I think whether the Grizzlies trade Conley or not this summer will be in part um, based on whether they have their draft pick, and we'll get into that. And in part, based on what are the offers. And so, if anything, Conley's good play may make it more likely that he gets traded if it convinces other teams to offer more. Um, and so, I, I, don't, I don't think Conley playing well makes the Grizzlies less likely to trade him. If anything, it may make the offers better, which might make it more likely. Um, in terms of DeLon Wright, um, he was always going to be a player the Grizzlies tried to bring back this summer. I think the only concern there would be, does his good play um, – increase his value on the market does that does that raise the offers other teams are willing to make in which case it might make it less likely he's back um in terms of Jonas Valanciunas I think he's been a revelation for a lot of Grizzlies fans I don't think he's been a revelation to the league um a I don't think people around the league are really paying attention to the Grizzlies right now but the other thing is he he's basically been doing what he did in Toronto just with more minutes um his 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 production and his efficiency is really not that different from what he was he's already been doing and so I don't think Jonas Valanciunas' play um, since he's become a Grizzly has had much of an impact on on what's going to happen with him this summer. I think that was sort of set in stone 
um, when the Grizzlies traded for him. And then the one that jumps out the most is probably Avery Bradley, who has been dramatically better as a Grizzly than he was was as a Clipper. Um, I, as I've written recently, I, I think there's great um, reason to expect that his shooting as a Grizzly is going to regress, if not this season, then certainly into the future. I, but I do think he is a much better player than he showed in, in Los Angeles or in Detroit. Um, whether, whether his good play would influence the Grizzlies to keep him this summer, I think, again, is, is contingent on other issues, and we'll sort of get into that. I, I don't think it, it has a major impact on what's going to happen with him this summer. All right, another question. John, this one's a little complicated. We'll read it, and then we'll break it apart. Um, John asks, um, it starts with a statement, actually. If I'm correct, there are 11 guaranteed salaries next year um, that total roughly $119 million. Do, do we, I'm going to mispronounce this word. This is our word of the week from John. Do, do we amortize, amortize, I'll explain that in a minute, Parsons, and or fully guarantee Bradley, and how does that all play into offering the MLE with a likely top eight salary too? That's a little confusing, but we'll break it down. So let's start with the first part. John says, if he's correct, the Grizzlies will enter the summer with 11 players under contract for about $119 million. Um, that depends on how you look at it, but roughly speaking, I, that, that's essentially correct. He's assuming that Valanciunas and C.J. Miles both um, opt in to their player options, and that is including Avery Bradley on on the roster, is including Chandler Parsons on the roster. So we'll say that, you know, in theory, that that's right. 11 players at $119 million. Well, $119 million doesn't mean anything by itself. You have to sort of put that in context. And um, while the official numbers won't be set until July, at the moment, the uh, NBA salary cap is expected to be about $109 million um, next season. And so at 119, the Grizzlies would enter the summer $10 million over the salary cap, um, which would put certain restrictions on, on how they can, what players they can sign. Um, you can't just go out and sign anybody you want for anything um, in, that, in, that, in that circumstance. Um, the NBA's luxury tax at the moment is projected to be uh, about 132 million, which would, which at if they go in, you know, to the summer at with these 11 players, will put them about 13 million dollars under the luxury tax with four roster spots to fill. Now, the luxury tax is not a hard um, ceiling in the NBA, but it it effectively is for the Grizzlies. They are not going to pay luxury tax in a small market to be what is probably a middling team. So you can consider that sort of a hard cap for the Grizzlies. And $13 million is not really much for, 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 for spots, especially when you consider the, you know, the primary methods in which you might fill those four spots. Um, if the Grizzlies end up with their draft pick this summer, um, that pick you know, will be somewhere between one and eight, which means that player will make someone between, somewhere between $8 million for the first pick or $4 million for the eighth pick. Um, that, that 119 does not factor in DeLon Wright, who will be – a restricted free agent, the Grizzlies will give him a qualifying offer at $3.6 million, so that is the minimum number at which he will be back. If they sign him to a multi-year deal, which I think is probably likely, you can expect probably to at least double that. So let's say somewhere DeLon Wright's back, it'll be somewhere between three and a half to $10 million. Um, the MLE that, the, that John refers to is, is the mid-level exception, which is the primary mechanism that teams over the salary cap can use to sign free agents. That is how the Grizzlies signed Cal Anderson last summer. Um, if they want to use their MLE, and I suspect they do, um, that would be up to $9.2 million. And as you can see, like if you have $13 million to play with, you can't do all three of those things um, 
And you're probably going to have a hard time doing two of those things, even if you use minimum salaries for whatever's left. And so if the Grizzlies want to do, you know, if they don't, if, if they end up not having their draft pick, then you can sort of cross that off. But you're going to have to cross stuff off the list. And so maybe that gets crossed off because you conveyed the pick. Um, you know, maybe the line right signs elsewhere. Um, but but something's got to get crossed off. And it could be that they're, that what really gets crossed off is part of that 11, those 11 players at $119 million that John talks about. Um, in terms of Parsons, when he says amortize, that means that word means to, to gradually write off the initial cost of something over a period of time. And what he's talking about there is what in the NBA is called the stretch provision. If you want to um, you know, buy out a player who is under contract to your team, you can buy them out at face value, or you can use what's called a stretch provision and, 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 and sort of stretch that out over multiple years. And so for Parsons, the Grizzlies this summer could buy him out for $24 million, which is his salary, minus whatever little bit he was willing to give back. Or they could use the stretch provision, which would take that $24 million and divide it over three seasons. If they did that, the Parsons number would go from 24 this season to um, eight, basically. And that would create a lot of wiggle room. But it would also push that extra $16 million over two more years. And I don't think they want to do that. I, I think the only way you, they're going to stretch Chandler Parsons to create space this summer is if they think they can use that, that, that space, that flexibility, in a, in a way that makes a, a real impact. And I just think they're past the point of thinking short-term with this roster. I mean, this roster, I know, you know they've had some good wins lately. This is not a roster of an NBA contender next season. I don't think they're going to short-circuit in that way. I think they would much rather have Parsons' money one way or the other come off the books after next season and be free and clear of it and not stretch it out. Um, another way they could create some flexibility is Avery Bradley, who we talked about. Um, Bradley's contract for next season is guaranteed at $12.6 million, but he's got a buyout, a partial guarantee at $2 million. And so the Grizzlies are going to have to decide, do they want Bradley on the roster at twelve point six, so they want to pay him two to walk away? Um, you'd have $2 million of dead money on your books, but you create $10 million in, in sort of wiggle room. So it may be a case of, do you want Avery Bradley in one year, or do you want to use your, your mid-level exception? Those are the kind of decisions they're likely to make. Then the other question here, which John doesn't allude to, but it's Mike Conley. Are they going to trade Mike Conley or not? And if you trade Mike Conley, you're going to create some flexibility. Um, you're not Conley's going to make $32 million next season. You're not going to take back a you're going to bring back salary, but you're not going to bring back one player making thirty million. And so, if you trade Mike Conley, you're going to create flexibility. It could be a little, or it could be an awful lot. Um, and so, those are sort of the issues there. Um, I hope I don't mispronounce this person's name. Gonsol um, asks, "What if Jonas Valanciunas opts out and goes elsewhere? He includes an emoji of a of a sad person sniffling and crying." Um, you know, I think the Grizzlies Grizzlies fans have really um, gotten enamored of Jonas Valanciunas, and I don't blame them. I really enjoy watching him play. This guy um, sets picks that you can hear across the arena. Um, he rebounds. He scores. He plays with a lot of passion, um, lots of energy. He's fun to watch, and he's good. And so I, I think, you know, Grizzlies fans would like to see him back for the most part. I think the Grizzlies organization would like to see him back. Um, I think he will be back, but his player option next year is for $17.6 million, and that is above market for him. And so to the question, like if he opts out and goes elsewhere, then you know you won't have Jonas Valanciunas on your books for $17.6 million, which is, I don't know, it's not the worst thing in the world because they have to be careful not clogging up their center minutes too much. Um, 
if they bring back, and I don't think they will, but if they brought back Valanciunas, Joachim Noah, and Ivan Rab, um, you're going to have a hard time playing Jaron Jackson minutes at center, and they really need to find minutes for Jaron Jackson at center. And so, you know, as far as Valanciunas goes, he's not going to get $17.6 million in free agency. If he opts out and goes into free agency, it will be seeking a longer-term deal for less money per year because there's no one in the market this summer that's going to pay him that much money. Uh, the, the question for him will be, how important is it for you to, to lock up long-term security now? And for the Grizzlies, what are you willing to do to offer that to him? Um, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Let's see. Next question from David. <clears throat> Excuse me. Assuming a planned front office change, why wait until the offseason when many stakes, when many high stakes decisions are needed over this is a little confusingly worded? Um, he's basically asking why, if the Grizzlies are going to make our front office change, why didn't they do it after the trade deadline while the season was still going on instead of waiting till this summer? I think that's a good question. Um, Front office changes in season are pretty rare in the NBA, but they're not unprecedented. And we've seen at least a couple of examples this season. Uh, Minnesota earlier this year um, fired Tom Thibodeau, who was their head coach and their president of basketball. Um, you know, co- coach changes in season are, are are less rare. They're pretty common. So that's, that was sort of a different situation. But I think what happened in New Orleans is sort of interesting and sort of relevant to what we're talking about with the Grizzlies. Um the New Orleans Pelicans, you know, with all the drama surrounding Anthony Davis, um, they went through the trade deadline um, with their current front office. And when the deadline was over, they actually did it over All-Star weekend, which I don't think was great timing. But after the um, trade deadline was over, they fired their GM, Del Demps. Um, they made people already in their front office, interim front office, basically, sort of like an interim coach for the rest of the season. And they announced, we will be hiring a new it could they could they could elevate the people who are interim, but but we we they they announced we we're beginning a front office search. We're going to have a new lead executive for the team, and we're starting now to look for it. Um, is there a rationale for the Grizzlies to have done the same thing? I think so. I, I think the fan base, fairly or not, and I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, the fan base seems to be over um, the era of Chris Wallace, the Grizzlies' um, general manager, lead lead decision maker. Um, I think. To the degree that their front office issues are a basketball issue, um, I think they have now become even more clearly a business issue. And I think there may there probably would have been value in the Grizzlies doing the same thing that the Pelicans did in saying letting Chris Wallace go. And it's never fun to talk about someone losing a job, but this is where we're at. Um, there could have been value in the Grizzlies saying letting Chris Wallace go, making the rest of the front office that's still in place put an interim label on them. And saying we're beginning our process now, basically letting the fans know there will be changes, and I think that probably would have helped them in terms of a season ticket renewal standpoint. Um, that didn't happen, and so we'll wait. So at this point, I, I assume nothing will happen until the last game is played. I think once the last game is played, there will be some level of resolution soon. I think over the next couple of weeks after the the end of the regular season. I mean, it's speculation at this point because it's all this is all Robert Parra's decision, and 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 no one is in his head. I my expectation, and I this is not uh, this is not reporting. This is sort of um, supposition, I guess. My but I think there will be some level of front office change for the Grizzlies before next season. I don't think it will be total. Um, there are five core people in, in that basketball organization right now. 
Um, I will be surprised if all five are back, but I'd be even more surprised if none of the five were back. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. My expectation, there will be some level of change, but not total change. Um, I, I agree with the, with the, with the, with David that, that doing so, you know, after the deadline would not have been a bad move for them to make. Um, let's see. Next question is from Julie. If we convey the pick this year, should the front office philosophy be to tank next year as a season ticket holder? I hate that philosophy. I don't blame you, Julie. I, I, I think fans want to, whether your team wins or not, you want to see your team try to win. Um, when you're paying good money and going to the arena, um, it's not fun. It's fun to see the home team win. It's not fun to see them lose. Um, and you want to see sort of positive momentum. So I don't, I don't begrudge any paying, paying ticket holder from not wanting to see, you know, th- there are reasons sometimes for to have a long view to teach strategically um, that sometimes, you know, losing can be beneficial in the long term because of the draft. But I don't, I don't mind that, that fans don't like that. And what I would say is if you go back and look at the interview that Grizzlies owner Robert Para did with the Daily Memphian in December, the exclusive interview he did with us, there's a quote in there that I thought was really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to read it here. Uh, Para said, to get really great asset, assets, sometimes you have to go into a rebuild. But if you rebuild and start losing games, sometimes it's impossible to maintain a professional culture where guys want to compete every night and not develop bad habits. So that's the trick. How do you keep a culture and somehow get assets and become elite again? when you're Where you're not stuck in no man's land and mediocre forever, I think we took advantage. We had a bad year last year and we got Jaron out of it. Now what he's essentially saying there to me is that he agrees with fans who worry about losing culture. Um, that he does not like tanking a strategy. He does think it has. He does believe that it has ne- a negative impact on a franchise. But he is also pragmatic about it. And w- when you, when they found themselves in a specific specific circumstance last season where they were no longer capable of being good, they did take what I would call active measure active measures to manipulate their draft position. They got Jaron Jackson Jr. out of it. What I get out of that is that I don't think the Grizzlies are ever going to. You know, like the Philadelphia 76ers of the process years, they're never going to go into a season with the strategy of being bad for draft purposes. Um, I think within a season, they if you find yourselves in that in that situation, you know, you 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 adjust to the circumstances. But what I could see happening is the Grizzlies taking if they end up trading Mike Conley this summer, and, and I think that's possible. I could see a situation where you're not tanking, but you are you are fully embracing your youth and your rebuild. And what that would mean, I, I would point to a team like the Atlanta Hawks this this season. The Hawks are bad; they're the fifth worst team in the NBA this season. But they're not as bad as people thought they would be. People thought they were going to be the worst team in the NBA. They're not tanking; they're just rebuilding and they're young. And what they did basically was put the ball in the hands of their youngest players, rookie Trey Young, rookie Kevin Herter, second year player John Collins, and they said. We're winning or losing with you. We we want to be as good as we can be, but we want to be as good as we can be with these young players, and we'll see what happens. And I think that's what you might see with the Grizzlies. If they trade Mike Conley, they may just say, we'll be as good or bad as we can be with Jaron Jackson Jr. and these young players, and that's probably going to mean bad, but that won't be tanking. That'll just be the natural process of a franchise. Um, last question we're going to do today. This comes from Mario. Something a little different. Should the Grizzlies organization completely purge itself of the grit and grind identity with maybe the exception of Grind City Media and the Grindhouse nickname for FedEx Forum after this season should Memphis ban the term? I don't know what Memphis banning the term means. Like, Is this something that, that's going to be a, a factor in the coming like mayoral race? Are we going to get um, um, Jim Strickland on, on, the, on, on the record about whether the term grit and grind should be banned? Um, that's clearly not going to happen. 
Um, the Grindhouse thing actually is something that you don't hear the Grizzlies ever say. Um, FedEx, FedEx pays a lot of money for naming rights to FedEx Forum. And so the, the name Grindhouse has seeped into fan culture. And sometimes you hope players say it or, or announcers from other teams say it. That is not something the Grizzlies use. Um, they, they're sensitive to that. Um, the I don't the Grind City Media. I mean, obviously that is branded. That's not going anywhere. I'm a fan of all the people there. So some lifelong friends of mine are over there. Uh, Chris Vernon and John Rose are new friends of mine, like Lane Whitaker and Michael Wallace. So I have total respect for what they do. I'll confess, I've never been a fan of the Grind City name. It's not something Memphis ever really called itself. It feels like sort of branding that's been imposed from the outside. But I don't think that's going anywhere either. I think in terms of the grit and grind thing, you know, uh, there's always this question of, it, it, what, does that represent an era that is now over? Or does that represent an, represent an, an ethos that sort of the whole city sort of embraces? I think at one level, it's just something people like to say, and people are going to keep liking saying it, and they're going to keep saying it, even if it sort of gets hard to do if you're if you're losing or if you're not, you know, playing, you know, in, in a manner that seems to match up with that. I suspect that the Grizzlies will, are not going to abandon that. Um, they like it too much. The fans like it too much. But I think they probably need to scale back a little bit with it and find some other ways to sell the team. I think they went overboard this year with it. Um the, the keep talking grit slogan, I don't, I don't think worked very well. Uh, so I don't, I think we will keep talking grit and grind. I don't think we will quote unquote keep talking grit. Um, and for me personally, as a writer, I tend to to use it sparingly, and I do tend to use it mostly in reference to an era of basketball that I do think, despite the presence of Mike Conley, is now officially over. All right, so that has been our first and potentially our last um, Grizzlies mailbag podcast. We'll see how how it goes. What you guys think of it. Um, we'll be back hopefully next week. We'll start getting um, guests back in. I got a p- couple people uh, lined up for the next few weeks. We'll get Jeff Calkins, Don Wade back in here as well. Um, we still have a few more weeks of basketball left in the season. And so that's it for this week. Um, I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Mythian Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OAM Network and Gil Worth. Thanks for Natalie Chandler on the ones and twos listening to me talk to myself for half an hour. Um, you can subscribe to our site for $7 a month, dailymiffian.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Miffian, and you can subscribe to this podcast and all of our other podcasts wherever you get your audio, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.